Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. I just want to ask one quick favor before we jump into this episode. You know, I've been organically growing this podcast for over five years, and I need your help to keep the momentum going. There's two things you can do. One is leaving a five-star rating on either Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Spotify is a lot easier. You'll see the rating button right at the top. Apple Podcasts, you have to scroll down the page a little bit and you'll see a write a review button. Additionally, if you want to share this out with your audience on your social channels, text it to a friend or colleague or family member, whatever you have to do to pass this along to individuals that you find may need the help and may be looking to get started. So either of those things or both of you like would be appreciative so I can get this podcast out to more individuals and we can help more people get started and move in the right direction to a more happy and fulfilling life. So thanks again for your help. And grateful to have you here on another episode. Let's get it started. Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Just Get Started podcast. I'm your host, Brian Andreco, and thanks again for being a part of this journey. Today's guest is Antonella Pisani, and you might be asking, who is Antonella? Well, she is the founder and CEO of Dallas-based Eiffel Media, a digital marketing and consulting firm focused on performance marketing and digital strategy for mid-market companies. Founded in 2017, the company has experienced exponential growth fueled exclusively through word-of-mouth referrals. As a result, Eiffel Media has ranked in the top 11% on the Inc. 5000 list for the past two years as one of the fastest growing privately held companies in America. Scaled at a 1178%, less 1,178% growth rate, that's phenomenal. They rank number 17 in Dallas, number 37 in Texas, and number 38 in all advertising and marketing companies. Eiffel Media was also named to the 2022 Adweek list of fastest growing agencies, ranking number 13 on list overall, and number five in the West and Southwest. Eiffel Media has also been announced as a member of the Dallas 100 for 2022. So without further ado, let's welcome in Antonella. Antonella, how are you today? Nice to have you. I'm doing well. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And, you know, I was going to read the whole bio. The, the, the stuff you guys have done is phenomenal. And all the I, I want to get into that, just how you've given back to the community. And when I read that, by the way... What, what comes to your head, like when I'm reading like, you know, the Inc. 5000 and where you've ranked and the growth, like, is that, is that like eye opening? You're like, oh my gosh, where did this come from? Like, what? It, yeah, it's still weird to hear. I mean, I think it's um, certainly some disbelief of like, how the heck did we get here? We're celebrating six years. I think tomorrow is actually six years. So wow. it's, um, I think the way that it's come together, it's just complete disbeliefs here. It's like, is he really talking about us right now? Is that what's going on? So it's fun to, to see that. And I want to talk about how you got here, you know, going back not only six years, but even years prior, like, did you always want to start a business? Like, did you know what entrepreneurship was and, and that type of stuff back when you were younger? I did. So I was always like a little hustler, um, like not in a bad way, but my, my dad owned a jewelry store. And so I, I kind of grew up in my dad's store and even into my teens, like I remember figuring out that, 
you know, I wasn't into baseball, but I could go buy baseball cards. I could go resell them. I would set up as a dealer at these different shows and the moms loved me because they trusted me more than the, the older guys selling cards. And like, so I think I always had that like entrepreneurial drive and just figuring out how to, um, how to compete a little bit. Um, and certainly as I got older, I think it became a little bit more about wanting to to work for myself and not necessarily answer to anyone else. Um, you always have clients and and people that you're responsible to, but um, yeah, it started pretty early on, I would say. Well, you went into corporate America for a while, right? For a long time. Yeah. So I actually started out um, as like a web designer and developer back in 96, so super early, but it was a work study job. But I started interning like at 17, I was interning for Transworld Snowboarding Magazine. Like I always worked from a pretty young age. Um, and then after college, went to um, like a web analytics firm, Gateway Computers way back in the oh, day. Yeah. I remember Gateway. I had one of those. <laughs> Pro Flowers, Guitar Center, JCPenney, Fossil. So so a lot of um, corporate jobs, both, you know, Pro Flowers was a startup, but it was a $125 million startup when I got there um, and left at 650 million or so. Oh, wow. So yeah, I mean, everything from that to like JCPenney, which was a huge company, sure. um, the majority well, of my career in corporate. Well, I, and I'm, I'm just kind of curious to, to kind of connect the dots because I, you know, in terms of, you know, getting this business started, um, you said you're kind of entrepreneurial, kind of had that fire going to corporate America. Was that just you thought like this was the path I got to go this route or did you kind of not think about doing something on your own or had you always want, I'm kind of curious, like, cause I think a lot of folks I talk with struggle with that of like, they have that fire in them, but it's kind of like, nah, this is the path. I got to get an entry level job. I just got to work my way up and, and kind of, you know, that's what society wants of me. And they kind of struggle with that. Did you have the same or? Not really. I mean, I think, you know, coming out of school, had a bunch of student loans and things like that. And so it just felt very natural to go work for a company and, you know, certainly had the opportunity to learn a ton. Um, I would say I always had side projects though, coming out of college and um, had websites on the side and had things like that, that I would tinker with. But it really wasn't until I would say maybe like 10 years ago that I really started thinking about, okay, what, what comes next? Um, so I wouldn't say it's something I really struggled with earlier on. Um, cause I had those side projects to kind of feed, feed that part of what me. What were you doing? What were some of the projects? Anything fun? God, just random websites. I mean, I always okay. had websites and would have, you know, display advertising, like, but that's how I learned things like paid search. I was doing it. It was goto.com, which was before Google, which was before even like overture where it was a penny a click. Yeah. Um, and so I had built websites for the university. And in some cases, I was able to take some of that content and I was like, hold on a second. Why don't I build a consumer facing website? So it was generally in that space. Well, you bring up a good point because it's got, it's something where you don't always, I mean, the, the, the idea, we always have to go to the extremes like, oh, you got to have a side business and start that. No, you can actually just enjoy doing the things you're doing and still have your full-time job. Like that's okay. I think the challenge a lot of folks have is is struggling even doing that, like even doing the side business. Um, I don't know if they get burnt out at their job. Like, I don't know. There, it could be a lot of factors from a, a mindset standpoint, but it's like being able to just push themselves to learn a new skill. Like I noticed you, 
do you have like you five languages you speak or something? Like, I'm like, where do you, where, how do you do that? But like, that's the stuff I'm really curious about is like how that mentality for you is I'm going to go above and beyond, even though I might get paid for this, this is important for me. How do you determine those things? Is there any practices you do, any, you know, disciplines you have to be able to kind of pick those things and stick with them? say like self-diagnosed ADD where it's like the opposite where you know I, I jokingly call my brain like pinball on multiball where <laughs> there's always something going on there's always some idea that I'm thinking about and I do think that's part of it is you know it is hard to stick with it and to allocate the time and I think especially when you're starting your own thing you're not getting that payoff immediately and in many cases like if you're going all in you're, you may be taking a big step backwards financially and, and needing to get to a place where you're comfortable doing that. But I think for me, you know, with a lot of the projects, it, there were some starts and stops there. Um, but with everything you, you learn and have fun. And to me, it wasn't like a, um, I wasn't doing it for the income specifically. It was just more something fun to do. And if I happened to get some checks from advertising sales, like that was awesome. So Tell me a little about the kind of the, I was like the getting started moment, kind of the inflection point. When did, when did the thought come from, I'm going to leave corporate America. I have this idea to start this business. Can you share a little bit about that? What, what, what was the, was there a serendipitous moment that happened? I don't know. Yeah, it was actually, um, so it was interesting. So I had been doing turnarounds for a while. So Guitar Center was a turnaround, JCPenney, Fossil. And frankly, it was just kind of burnt out. Like I had been working a lot and um, had been in some kind of tricky environments, like turnaround situations don't necessarily bring out the best in everyone. Can I, can I, and, I don't mean to interrupt. Can, what, what do you mean yeah. by turnaround? Uh, where the business had maybe been struggling oh. and I had to rebuild teams and I had to get it being back profitable and turn around a trend. Oh, okay. Like, gotcha. Thank you. Negative business trend, really. Okay. And um, I've always loved to travel and loved photography and had gotten myself to a point where I was like, you know what? I'm taking a year off. I took, you know, I think so many people talk about this idea of like, oh, I'm going to take time off and travel. And I'd been fortunate enough to go to some pretty cool places like Africa and a fair amount of Latin America. And I just decided like, no, I'm going to go do this. Like I'm taking this year off to travel and um, was working on my own website just to keep my brain sharp. But, you know, through a um, kind of a sad turn, which ended up with a, a happy ending, but had a um, like crazy year, like lost a friend, had a friend be paralyzed. And then my closest friend ended up diagnosed with stage four cancer. And so I was like, you know what? <laughs> I'm not going back to corporate. I'm going to focus on being a best friend. Um, that's my priority. Like I can stretch this out for a while. And it was during that time, uh, a friend who is um, CEO of an ad agency here sits on the advisory board of a company and was like, Hey, you know, can you help him out? And I was like, yeah, I can do that and still be a good friend. Cause I've got the flexibility. Um, best word. He's fine. Five years remission, like Memorial, Slo Memorial Sloan Kettering saved his bacon basically. And, um, and so it really wasn't this idea of like, I'm going to go start a company. It was, I want flexibility. I, I want to work on something where I can kind of be true to my own values and do fun work. I kind of missed being in marketing, like in the sense that as you grow within corporate, a lot of times, like 
your job is to be a leader. Your job is to be a manager. And a lot of times like it's your team doing the marketing and, and I miss that. And so for me, it was, Hey, I want to get back into that again. I kind of miss it. And I want that flexibility tired of political shenanigans. And so this whole thing started with that. It was one client and the rest is kind of history. It's all been, you know, word of mouth and just treating clients really well and letting them spread the word for us. So uh, crazy situation actually led to led to the beginning here. What do you think was the so obviously you had the one client and, and that snowballed obviously, but like what was the maybe the hardest part in starting the business for you? Is there one that you can remember that was kind of challenging at least to spin it up or? Yeah, I mean, I think because I went into it with this idea of like, hey, this is consulting and it's it's going to supplement what I'm doing with this website that I'm working on. It wasn't this like, oh, I'm starting an agency. I'm starting a business. I'd never worked for an agency before. So it, um, I don't know that there was a hardest part there. I think part of it was I knew um, financially it was going to be very different than going back to a, a corporate role at like a VP or SVP level. And so I think that was kind of tricky initially, but you know, I, I made some decisions. It's like, I went from uh, an apartment with an awesome mountain view to like a little bit simpler place and just made some of those decisions that, you know, was able to kind of reduce expenses a little bit for a period of time so that I wasn't as worried about it. Um, I think that was at the very beginning, one of the tougher pieces was just making that trade off. Well, you said you, you weren't intending to start an agency. It turned into that. So like, at what point were you like, oh crap, we're, we're, this is going a little faster than I anticipated. Like, how did you handle that? Yeah, it was kind of crazy. I mean, I would say the first, um, the first year or two were not like complete chaos, but coming up into then, I would say one of the bigger inflection points was like, okay, I need to hire a, a full-time employee. That's a big jump right? Going from, because originally it was just me. And then basically what would happen is, you know, we're doing digital, I was doing digital strategy and I might say like, Hey, look, there's room for, for opportunity on your organic search. The client would say, okay, can you help me with that? And so I'd go find a contractor to help. And, you know, when you're using contract labor, you're really just paying for their working hours. You don't have a ton of excess um, expense there. And so I think it was that inflection point of like, okay, it's time to hire FTEs and start realizing that, you know, I am going to be paying for some other time that may not be billable. Um, I would say it was about two, two and a half years in that all of a sudden it was like, what is happening here? This is crazy. And why did you decide to go the route? Because you could have kept the route of the freelancer contract type role. Why for you was it important to bring the full-time employees in? Um, it was predictability around kind of resource availability. Um, that was really, to me, one of the biggest things was just, you know, I didn't feel good saying like, okay, I'm going to go pitch some business and then I need to make sure that there's someone available to do the work just because of the quality of work that I wanted us to deliver. And so it kind of got to this point where there was enough consistency, but also it just that scramble of making sure someone had time and okay, are they going to do this at night? And when are they going to be able to actually do it? That just got too like chaotic and stressful, I would say. And so that was part of it. And then 
um, funny enough, part of it was like, I wanted to get off of the healthcare marketplace and I needed a, <laughs> a second person in order to do that. So for small business, you needed at least two people. Um, so that was definitely part of that first hire as well. And why did you decide, I don't, maybe it was just, I don't know, you just did, but like the remote work and because again, you could have easily said, all right, we're going into this office. You got to be here in Dallas. Like what was your thought process around the structure of the business? How did, how did you yeah. come to that conclusion? So I think initially because, and I was actually living in Denver at the time, um, because I was starting with contract labor, like that naturally was not necessarily going to be in the same location. And I really started out by finding people either that I knew who had maybe worked for me or else asking them who I could trust. And so it was much more important to me to focus on the quality of the individual than where they lived. Um, and then that's just something that kind of progressed. And so I think we're up to like 16 states and 20 something cities. Um, certainly adds adds an interesting element, but I think it was just prioritizing finding the right people instead of where they happen to be located. Okay. Yeah. Cause that's always a struggle, you know, you, especially now in the news, it seems like every other day it's around folks coming back into work or can you do this remote? You know, I learned this a lot from, um, I don't know if you follow like base camp, you know, like what Jason Fried and, and those folks did of like, they've always been remote. Like that was something that inspired me many years ago of like, yeah, why can't you do it remote? Seems like other people have figured it out, you know? So I don't know. I didn't know if there was anything specific that you read or, but it seemed like you kind of just figured out like, this is the, this, this is easy enough. We're doing it with contractors. Let's just do it full time. You know? Yeah. And I think it, we were doing it with contractors. Clients were in different cities. And so there was actually some benefit, I would say, to having people in different time zones. Um, you know, I think, look, you do lose something. Um, I think it was harder actually pre-COVID where a lot of people that I was talking to and even some of the early hires had never worked from home because that was new, right? And so like that was definitely a challenge, I would say early on before people kind of knew their rhythm and had dedicated office, you know, and a dedicated office in their home or a dedicated desk. And so, you know, it actually became... I would say easier as people kind of got trained up on working from home during the pandemic. Have you, have you done anything, maybe it's not unique, maybe it is of like how you communicate with your, with your staff. I don't know if it's retreats or it's, you have certain times you get together, like anything like that of, of engaging with the employees. Yeah. So we do a fair amount. I mean, so there's a monthly all hands. Um, that's just a call, right. Or video, uh, we'll occasionally fly people in so that they can meet in person. Um, that's been important. But a lot of it is just using things like um, we use a platform called 15.5 for yeah. performance. Um, that's integrated with Slack. I would say, you know, the very first time I did a start, stop, continue survey with as the team grew, like that was the the overwhelming uh, request was, please, dear God, get us Slack. Like, we had been using just like Gchat through our, our Gmail and everyone uh, was dissatisfied with that solution and like, you know, making investments like that. Um, there's there's a lot of interaction. I mean, we're on video a ton, but the primary means like the, the all hands is an important part of things. But um, yeah, I think I flew like 13 people in in April out to Dallas. What uh? So 
I'm gonna I'm gonna have you think kind of like a retrospective of of the business. So like knowing what you do today, going back six years, what do you optimize for today? Maybe back then, where it was kind of more <laughs> helter skelter all over the place. Is there anything that you've tried to kind of barrel down the hatchets or whatever the phrasing is of like making things a little smoother? For sure. Um, you know, I jokingly said like my brain's pinball and multiball, and so I don't need documents in like an organized place like. I can dump everything into a single Google Drive folder and just search for it, but realizing like most people aren't built like that. And, you know, it took us a couple of years before like, let's organize things so that new hires can find them easily. Let's put in project management. I would say one of the the ones we still struggle with a little bit is um, really good like capacity management and, you know, making sure we really understand who has bandwidth, how much bandwidth and, and predicting when we need new hires. Um, I would more, say more like of, resource allocation to know availability and stuff. Resource allocation, yeah. um, you know, on a very tactical thing for, for a couple of years, like I was doing a lot of the registrations in new states and, you know, about a year ago, we switched to using a service to do that whenever we'd have a new hire um, that came way too late. I would say I should have done that starting with the very first one. Um, but yeah, I would say it's a lot of those operational things is, you know, that's never been my strong suit. Like whenever I'd go into a new job, like when I went to Fossil, like one of my very first hires was like, I need an awesome head of e-com operations. Um, I'm just not built that way. And so surrounding surrounding myself with people who who helped up our game on that was important. Well, that was one of the other things that I know a lot of folks like in your position that have grown and scaled business is delegation. You're used to doing everything. You're the only person day one. And then you actually have to, you know, because I, you know, what I'm always, what I'm curious about, and actually I'll, I'll ask now, I'm, this is a three part like question I'm asking you, but like you mentioned earlier, one of the things we're challenged with corporate is you love the marketing side. And then you kind of went into more leadership roles. You couldn't do that. So now six years in, are do you get your hands kind of dirty and still doing some of the marketing stuff? Like, do you enjoy that? Or are you more operations side? Like, so you can take, there's a few questions there about delegation and you and marketing. You can kind of start where you want. Yeah. Um, so I've always been very trusting in my team and, and learned how to delegate. I would say the skills that I've, I probably learned at ProFlowers. I struggled with it. Um, in one of my corporate jobs where I didn't feel like I had an A plus team, but whenever I've been able to like handpick my team and, and hire the people that I wanted, I've always been very comfortable delegating. Um, so that part of it hasn't bothered me as much. I would say on, you know, today, what my job is not a marketer today, right? Like my job is now leading an organization and, you know, I've got great marketers. I definitely get involved. Um, I would say more with like our strategy projects than kind of the one than like ongoing paid search or ongoing SEO, things like that. Um, you know, I, I like to listen in. We have this, um, this monthly call where we get like the paid search folks and the SEO folks together and they're all just sharing learnings and what's going on industry. And like, I love listening in on that, but I think from a marketing perspective today, like no, I've got to let them run their business. Like what they need me to do is be pushing on the things that will allow us to get to next level. Like it's, it's been a hard thing to navigate, I would say. Um, but I, I tend to like pick my projects and then 
what's cool is like now I'm involved with a, a couple of nonprofit organizations. And so that's where I get to be the marketer. Mm. Right. And so um, kind of uh, kind of augmenting things that way. Yeah, that's I, I guess that's always the struggle, right? Like it's like if you're the practitioner, if you're in there and then you kind of have to do something else. Yep. You know, do you? I mean, if I'm doing that, I'm not building a healthy organization that can run on its own. Like I took my first, like what I would say, my first real vacation in July. Um, I left the country for two weeks and my right hand, he's like, don't take your laptop. You don't need it. And I didn't take it and I didn't need it. Right. And the, like, and the business was still there when you got back. Right. <laughs> business was still there. Like, I think that was like one of the weirdest things was like that moment. And it was before that trip, but you know, maybe I'd taken a few days off and this like weird realization that's like, oh my God, this is like a living, breathing thing. And like, it runs when I'm not around to watch it. Like, it's just, it's running. We're managing business for clients and, you know, the team closed a really cool account while I was on vacation. Like I never even saw the RFP or anything. And so, you know, I think it's those moments when you realize that this thing is like you built is like off and running and you're there to kind of help get it to next level and, and support your team and inspire your team and all of those things. But like, they don't need you in the weeds. You know, it's like, I'm here as a sounding board if they have questions and certainly trying to understand, like, um, if I do happen to jump on like a biz dev call or something like that, understand like what the marketing challenges are so that I can help the team if, if we win the account. But yeah, it's a big transition going from that like operator role and, um, you know, where you're the the ultimate expert and then having to let that go. Yeah. How have you, you know, talked about taking a vacation and this is something too about not burning out, which again, happens, happens a lot. How have you tried, or is there anything you do? Cause you mentioned kind of the pinball, like ideas floating around your, and I'm sure you're, you're kind of deeply enthralled in the business. Is there anything you do from kind of like a, a mental health standpoint? I don't know meditation or morning routines or insert whatever, but is there anything you do or you found is helpful for yourself at least to sort of stay, stay sane when things get crazy? Yeah, for sure. So I walk probably an hour and a half to two hours a day. Um, so I get up and have, have breakfast. I have a enormous dog and we'll usually go 45 minutes to an hour in the morning. So I, I keep kind of a weird schedule. Like I almost think I keep like mountain time, even though I live central. Um, Cause I usually won't get to my desk till like nine 30, but that gives me an hour, like just clear my head, listen to music. Sometimes I'm listening to a podcast. It's when um, I consume a lot of like leadership audiobooks and things like that. And then I'll cap the day with an hour as well. Um, and because I have people on, you know, in every time zone, like I may go for a walk at 4.30, right? It's only 2.30 West Coast. And then I'm available like a little bit later to wrap up with the folks that are on the West Coast. But I think that practice has helped me a lot. Um, when I was in corporate, I was good about walking, you know, like half an hour or so before work. Because I think it's it's nice when you have something like that before you start your day. Um, it's a much nicer way to start the day, I think. Yeah. Versus like running frantically and ending up at your desk. Yeah, I think that's one of the things for me. I built I, I built in both a morning and a bedtime routine. Um yep. and and partly because yeah, it's like being able to structure that morning where you're not just jumping out of bed and you're going. Yeah. And you actually I think have that, something. 
Um, and then at night, like it's a small thing, but I think it is it's just a mentality. It's like no matter how dead tired I am, it's like I'll reflect on like, hey, what were some good things that happened today? And then just being grateful for for health and things like that. But it's like even on the toughest day, like there's always a couple of things that were like could be a text from a friend, right? It could be, hey, it was really sunny out and I got to walk in shorts instead of like a winter coat. Right. Um, and just those little things. And I think it's it's kind of ending the day in like a positive light, no matter what happened that day. Um, I really like that's, that. That's been a cool little habit too. You mentioned books. Any recommendations you'd make? Any things that would yeah, be your favorite? The, the one that I tend to recommend to everyone is The Go-Giver. Um, I don't know if you've read that one. But... Bob Bird. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, a lot of like why we've grown, how we've grown, I think is based on on those principles of just trying to create value and be that connector and um, a, a lot of that. I mean, I think um, it's very much like who I am and like, I love that one. I just finished um, The Trillion Dollar Coach. Nice. I thought that was excellent actually. It was one of my favorites lately. Um, so that one's really good. Um, I mean, good to great if you haven't read that. <clears throat> what else have I gone through lately? Um, uh, what you do is who you are. That's another cool one. Those are all good recommend. There's a couple of those around my list I haven't read yet, but uh, I'm always yeah. looking for it. I really like the Trillion Dollar Coach. It was just, it was, it was well done. It was kind of a, a little bit of a story. And what's the, what will Eddie... Cliff Notes, what's the premise behind that book? I mean, it's just, it's a, it's just a lot of leadership lessons on like everything from like active listening and they just, it's just the way that it's um, kind of woven together and it's, it's a very easy read. Okay. And okay. narrator from, for the audiobook is great. Oh, it's and you're, you're listening to audiobooks normally. Yeah, just a, that's. You know, for me, that's part of being a leader is like continuing to push myself. And so I usually end up using one of the two walks per day to to listen and learn and keep expanding my skills. No, that's good. I Every once in a while, listen, you know, it's funny is like, um, I don't know if you know David Goggins. He's had two books out, Can't Hurt Me and then and then un, or, uh, Never Finished uh, just came out. But I've listened to him on the audiobooks, but mostly I read. It's kind of like my way to wind down. It's kind of just the you know, get the eyes on the the physical book, but yeah, podcasts, which I consume a ton of, obviously those are audio. So um, I think that the one thing though you mentioned, and that's, this is, I think, encouragement for everyone is you got to figure out what you like, what's best for you. If you don't like reading or not that you don't like reading, if you're, Hey, I'm going on walks. And I want to do it this way. Well then do that. You know, you got to figure out what's best for yourself and make those decisions. I feel like a lot of people do struggle with like, if, if they don't want to read, they kind of think like there's not an option. Um, the the lesson learned is like I will always listen to a sample of the audiobook to make sure I like the narrator because yeah. I can make or break it. Like there's yeah. been before I started doing that, there were a couple of books and you know I'd get like five minutes into it and just I can't listen to this person, so yeah. I would abandon it. Um, so it was a little a little pro tip there, yeah. but. I mean, I, I read on my Kindle almost every night, but that's like just junk reading, yeah. like, and that's my winding down. Yeah. Like, I don't, <laughs> I don't want to be in bed, like thinking leadership lessons right before I go to sleep. Yeah, that's fair. That's a fair. Well, that's, yeah, I'm more like the philosophy type books and stuff like that, because yeah, that could get pretty heavy if you're like trying to do a full learning lesson, you know, right before you, you crash. <laughs> totally. uh, another good one was actually um, Bet on Talent, which I think was the, um, it was something, someone from Chick-fil-A, I think. Okay. 
I can, I can send you a list. No, that's great. No, I'm always looking for recommendations. I always love to share them because I, I've tried to read now because I built it, like I said, in my bedtime routine. I probably on average reading like two books a month. Um, so always looking for new recommendations and, and fun stuff to listen to. So, uh, awesome. yeah, it's a good time. What, uh, let me, let's end on this. Um, I always like to kind of throw it back on you. You could go wherever you want with this, but if someone's getting started today, it could be they they have a business idea. It could be they want to get in the best shape of their life. No matter what it is. Is there any encouragement, kind of a first nudge, a first step? It could be a quote, could be a, could be a book to read, could be anything that you would share as kind of an encouragement to get them started? Yeah. I mean, I can tell you, um, I mean, the go-giver is great. Um, I've always loved uh, Emerson's definition of success. Um, That's definitely been kind of a guide for me about, you know, to me, it's like success is leaving the world a bit better. And it's a really cool piece. I'd encourage you to go out and look at it. I've got a pen that I literally had engraved on it, leave it better, which for me was just everything you touch, just trying to make it a little bit better. Um, so I love that quote. Um, you know, I think for me, some of it was just thinking through, you know, there are a lot of people that have fear and that doubt and just stop and think of like, okay, what is the worst case scenario? Like what could really go wrong? And it's like, so does going wrong just mean, Hey, I've got to go back to a regular job in two months. And like, that's the worst case scenario. And you know, obviously everyone starts out in a different spot, but sometimes realizing that like what failure looks like may not be that big of a deal. And you got to just take a little step forward. It's the, uh, the cheesy, how do you eat an elephant one, one bite at a time. Right. right? Yeah. Uh, the more daunting something is just try to break it down to, to steps that you can start moving forward on. Yeah. Well, even for your, like your business, like you can't get six years if you didn't have day one, like you have to at least have that first day and then get to the second and slowly, but surely, and you make decisions each day, you kind of figure it out, right? You don't know everything day one. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's a tremendous amount of like imposter syndrome everywhere. Everyone still gets it. And there was something I read about, like, if you're struggling with that, compare yourself to the average person, not the people just kind of around you, right? And you're going to realize you know a lot more than than most people if it's something that, you know, could be e-commerce or whatever it is that you're wanting to work on. And so just try not to get trapped in that. Um, and it's it's okay if you don't have all the answers. Like I, I still remember, you know, it was a little bit over six years ago, sitting in a cafe, like building my first proposal. I didn't know what the heck I was doing. Like it was like a 30 page proposal. But it was that kind of go-giver concept of like, hey, I'm going to show a ton of information just to show that I know what I'm doing and that, you know, there's, and like try to create value and try to build that person's confidence to say like, oh yeah, there's a lot of stuff that's wrong. Um, I think a lot of people feel like they have to keep information close to the vest to feel smart and to feel like they create value. And I just don't think that builds trust. Mm. Uh, And so- don't be afraid to like give some knowledge away because I think it, it gets you started a little bit. Um, yeah, it's a, a bunch of things, not just one. I know that's, that's always nice. Give some folks some, uh, some guideposts as they, uh, as they think about their journey. Well, Anton, this has been a lot of fun. Where can folks say hello to you? Where can they check out the company? Any, any details you'd share? Yeah, absolutely. Um, for me personally, LinkedIn, um, it's Antonella Pisani, and uh, I've been writing a lot more and trying to share some information out there. 
Um, and then for the company, it's Eiffel Media, E-Y-E-F-U-L-M-E-D-I-A.com. Awesome. What, what type of writing are you doing? Are there some business on your, your random thoughts? What are you, what are you writing on? <laughs> not, not random thoughts. Um, so one thing I'm super passionate about business culture and like purpose-led organizations and values. Um, and so I've written a fair amount on like building remote culture, um, purpose-led businesses, things like that. That's been a lot of it, but then some e-com best practice stuff mixed in. Oh, awesome. Well, that's good. Well, I'll encourage, I'll put that in the show notes and uh, kind of encourage everyone to go check that out. So Anton, this has been a lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming on and, uh, and sharing the journey. Thank you so much. It's been fun uh, reminiscing a little bit too about the old days. Uh, yeah, it's always nice to do that. So thanks again. Thank you. Hey everyone. And just one more quick thing before you head off on your day. If you're enjoying this podcast and are looking for other resources and tools to help you get started and move forward toward a happier and more fulfilling life, then I'd encourage you to head over to my website, brianondraco.com, and hit the subscribe button in the upper right corner. There you can find my newsletter and blog subscriptions, where I share insights and information around getting unstuck, perspective, mindset, relationships, habits, and much more. If you get a chance to sign up, I hope you enjoy. Thanks again for listening in and have a phenomenal day.